Hello and welcome back to This Film is Lit. This is our first weekly episode. This is the prequel to episode 7 where we will be covering The Birds. This episode we're going to talk about Blade Runner 2049. Maybe a few other things. We're also going to give you a preview and a little bit of background story on The Birds before we get into it on the book and the movie so that next week we can hop right in from the main episode and get right into it. So it should let us get you something every week, add a little bit more content with other stuff because it allows us to talk about other stuff we're reading and watching that isn't the specific movies that we're doing. And it allows us to shorten the main episodes a little bit by putting some of the fun facts, the fun facts and that sort of stuff trivia. in an earlier episode and get people interested and then they know what's coming a week later so they can have a chance to go out and watch it or whatever themselves. So, or read it. <sighs> I guess. Themselves. So that's what we're going to do. This is the first one, prequel episode seven. First up, though, we're going to talk about Blade Runner 2049 because we went and saw it right after we watched Blade Runner and recorded our episode. We ran right out and saw Blade Runner 2049, so let's get into our discussion of that as our neighbors are shitheads. They're a lot better than the last ones. They are a lot better than the last ones. We're about to talk about Blade Runner 2049. We highly recommend it. If you haven't seen it, go see it. We're going to talk about it, but we're also going to have a ton of spoilers. So either turn it off now and go see the movie or listen on. But you've been warned. All right, so Blade Runner 2049, directed by Denis Villeneuve. Villeneuve, I can never pronounce that guy's name. Oh, that sounds right to me. Yeah, that's pretty close at least. Uh, Villeneuve, maybe. Uh, who also directed Arrival, which we talked about, and uh, a bunch of Prisoners, uh, Sakara, a bunch of other movies. He did Blade Runner 2049. We saw it in our fancy new upgraded theater, which was lovely. We have recliners in our theater now. The it's, seats are heated. Oh, heated reclining seats. <laughs> it's so nice. We've made to, it. Compared to how that theater used to be, it's so nice. We live in the big city yeah, now. Yeah, right. It's big city living. <laughs> So, uh, I guess we're, we're just going to do like a little bit, just talk about a little bit what we thought about it, uh, maybe discuss a couple of things that relate to things we talked about, specifically the one point about whether or not Deckard is a right. replicant in universe, <laughs> in canon, which I think now is pretty much settled, but we'll get there. Uh, but first, just overall, did what did you think? Did you like it? Yeah, I liked it. Yeah, that was about, yeah, I felt the same. I thought it was good. Yeah. I thought it was really good. I thought it was beautiful. Uh, I thought it was really well shot, which everything Denny Villeneuve directs is. Uh, this one in particular, though, because he had a lot more of a world to work with than something like Arrival. And Arrival's right. beautifully shot, but it's mostly inside tents or just in modern day Montana or wherever. You know, so there's pretty stuff and there's some other they're cool stuff, but there aren't uh, post-apocalyptic hellscapes and whatnot. Yeah. Which you can do really cool stuff with. And they did really cool stuff with. So first for me, that's, the movie is fucking gorgeous. And I really uh, enjoyed that aspect, as, that aspect of it. Overall, I would say it's good. I would have to. I need to see it again. Uh, like Blade Runner. It's tough to know off the first viewing if it, like how, how much I like it. Yeah. But I, I really enjoyed it. I think it would, might have been a little long. It was a little long. Because it was like 2.45. I think they probably could have trimmed 15 minutes yeah. here and there that like wouldn't be super noticeable, but would just make it a little more of a succinct experience. I never got bored, really. Like I never got bored in the movie, but I just... 
I just, I mean, it's like, I, like, eventually I just, like, I have to go to the bathroom, but I don't, <laughs> I mean, we've been sitting in here for three hours. Yeah. But, you know, it, uh, yeah, I think they could have trimmed a little bit, but I'm sure they already trimmed a lot to get down to 245. You know what I mean? I'm sure that yeah, movie was three trimming. and a half hours when they first cut it or something, when they did the rough cut or something like that. So, that was probably my biggest problem. It was a little overlong, and I guess that was really my only negative. Yeah, I, yeah, I gotta agree about it being a little long. I didn't get bored yeah. either, but I did feel like it, it took maybe a little too long to, like, get the ball rolling yeah. on the story. Yeah, I can see that. The other thing that I think is, and they do this, it reminded me a little bit of Drive in this way, which is a really good movie, which is another Ryan Gosling film. There were times where conversations a couple of times almost felt needlessly long. Uh, yeah. Not not conversations, but the amount of pauses and silence and waiting for people to talk in conversations and scenes. Not not to a huge extent, but and, and it's kind of the point. And it's a, I think it's, the idea is it's more realistic. But to me, it sort of there were moments where it pulls me out as being less realistic because in my experience, people don't sit in silence thinking about the next thing they're going to say. They just talk and then get to the next thing they're going to say. I don't know. But it was, I, 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 yeah, I don't want to hate on it because I thought overall it, it was a really good movie. I think I still preferred the first Blade Runner just overall in this story it was telling. But speaking of the story, spoilers <laughs> coming ahead. Spoilers. I think it's pretty explicitly clear now that Deckard is a human. <laughs> yeah, I would say so. I mean, based on the premise of the story, which is that Deckard and Rachel had a child, and that child is like the future oh. replicant, super replicant. Yeah, it, he is a hundred percent a human in in this in in this movie. I would say so. Yeah, it yeah. has to be. I mean, because the whole idea is that he and Rachel had a child, and that child is basically the like next generation of replicants. Replicants that can breed. Human replicant. Yeah, hybrid. Hybrid thing. And in order for them to be it to be a human replicant hybrid, Deckard has to be human. <laughs> Other it's just a replicant replicant right. <laughs> child. Which I guess would still would be still kind of work. A... Yeah. It would because yeah. But the implication is that it's a human replicant. Like yeah. at, at least to me, the feeling I got was that it was a human replicant hybrid. And it's something along, and and that Deckard was potentially, or I don't know, something about yeah. There's a lot of stuff about fate and destiny and that sort of thing. But like that, he that was his destiny was to have that child that became that was a combination of both. So yeah, it's 100. percent He's a human. So they just like screw you, Ridley Scott. <laughs> he's a human. He's 100. Really, percent human. Did Ridley Scott have anything to do with this? He produced it. Okay. I'm sure in some way. Like I'm sure he was involved. But yeah, yeah. he didn't write. He didn't. You know, he. I'm, I think he's probably listed as an executive producer or something like that. Uh, and like, I, he got a writing character or credit for the characters or something, probably. Mm, but yeah, uh, but there were no doves flying away. As no, any no died. doves being released in climactic <laughs> moments. A lot. I mean, there was still biblical imagery, but it was way yeah. dialed back to an extent, mm -hmm. or not dialed back, but less obvious, less of like. Like I said, doves flying away or spikes being pulled from palms or that sort of thing. 
which I appreciated. One thing I did really like, I, I thought the because they had the, they decided to push the bound further with what the movie was about. So the initial question, and it's the same question in this one, is what does it mean to be human? What is right? What comprises uh, the totality of being a human? What does it take? Do you can you be a ro- can you be a replicant, a clone, basically? I, although they're kind of to me, I think they're kind of clones. Or, I think or android type things, but they're like flesh mm-hmm. and blood. They're clones, yeah. basically. So if you're created, but you're still basically a human, are you? Are you? And that was the question in the first movie. They push it a step further in this one and ask, can you even be not flesh and blood? And with the addition of the character Joy or yeah, Joey or whatever, Joy, Joy the the virtual girlfriend, virtual girlfriend that Ryan Gosling's character has. And we, since we already said spoilers, Ryan Gosling is a replicant in this. And so they push that one level even further. Can we? Can something like a computer program, mm-hmm. a highly sophisticated artificial intelligence that is all just computer parts, basically, also be human? And they don't really. There, I think the argument they make is probably yes, maybe. For most of the movie, I felt like she was the most human one there. Yeah, I agree. She 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 represents a lot of the, the, some of the most humanity because well, Gosling's character, which Cade, no. They just called him K, K the whole K, time. Yeah. yeah, he's a replicant that was specifically designed to be more submissive after mm-hmm. the whole thing happened with Deckard's replicants yeah. and all that stuff and the replicant war or whatever. So he's like specifically designed to be more uh, subservient. Yeah, and so he's very passive in a lot of the movie until he starts piecing things together and figuring things out. At least in the first half, he's very, yeah, just kind of there. And so she does provide that. Humanity, the scene with them on the roof in the rain, and you know, and she can't even feel it. Mm-hmm. She's a computer program, but still just that experience of being an out in the world because he buys a thing that allows him to take her around. Yeah, she's basically. like a hologram. Yeah. He gets a little like a portable. Yeah, portable hologram thing. thing I guess. Yeah, I guess is the idea. Because yeah, before she was tied to like a piece yeah. of equipment on the ceiling, basically. But um so yeah, I thought that was an interesting choice to add that character and kind of push it another step further and in mm-hmm. that in those in asking that sort of question. I thought I I think they did a good job tying the stories together in a not super obvious like way that feels cheesy. Like it feels like a, a continuation that makes sense. Yeah. Without it being like ham-fisted and and the thing that made it feel better is that and this is obviously spoilers again. The fact that Ryan Gosling or Kay isn't Deckard's kid. Yeah. Because if he had been, that would have felt a little on the nose, a little right. There was chosen one-y, like yeah. you know what I mean. Oh, our protagonist is the son of the like the long lost son of the of our protagonist from the last movie. Mm-hmm. Like that wouldn't have been a surprise. And so I like that they went away from that and made that not that decided that's not what it is. But he still realizes that even though because that and that's the, the interesting character development for him is that he really initially has no desire he's not really even worried about his humanity in the beginning of the movie that much he just does his job whatever and the only glimpses of his humanity we see early is his interactions with joy yeah and there's so there's some sort of desire there but it's you know and then as he goes and he starts to think he could be deckard's long lost son this right. prophesized child he starts that starts he starts tying his humanity to that that if this is true if i am deckard's son 
that means I'm human. That means I am, I, you know, I, mm-hmm. I, I am a person with a soul, that sort of thing. And then when he realizes he's not, he then has to learn the lesson and, and it would, that he does that if he, that's not important. And, you know, it's, it's kind of a stereotypical storytelling technique of for the magic was inside you all along. You know, it wasn't this thing you were looking for, you know. Yeah. But I think they do a good job of it where he thus by sacrificing himself. It's the most human thing he can do. Sacrifice himself for people he cares about or has come to care about. It means he is human, even though he's a replicant. I don't know. I thought, I thought it expanded on the themes in, a, in an interesting way. No, it definitely and did. A, did. A pretty good job. I liked it quite a bit. Is there anything else that tied back to the books or the not well, the books, but um, the the scene where he goes to find Deckard? Yeah, the setting of that was a little more close to what's described in the book, right? And when we talked about that, oops, yeah, we talked about that before in the Blade Runner review when you were describing it as like like a, like a bombed out wasteland. Yeah, and I was like, the air's full of dust. Yeah, and and I was like, there's. That moment, a couple of shots in the trailer that looked more like that, mm-hmm. and so I was wondering if that and there and, and the place he is where uh, Deckard is hiding out is like the the place where like the nuclear fallout was like the worst or whatever. Yeah. So yeah, I thought that was interesting that they did pull on more of the and it's a lot. That's the thing that's kind of cool. As much as I like the city and the setting of Blade Runner one of uh, the original Blade Runner. Mm-hmm. It's pretty much the same the whole movie. Right. We get to see a lot of different Yeah, there's environments. more settings yeah. in 2049. Yeah. Like and not just yeah, not only not just more settings, but they're very they're uh, incredibly varied in the like the invi- like the um the climate, not even the climate, but like there cuz like the one in the beginning on that farm or whatever yeah. is kind of like a like they're able to grow stuff but like in greenhouses, yeah, and everything else outside is dead. Everything's and... dead, but it's also not like a desert. Yeah, it's kind of like it seems kind of like just like a muddy, kind of deserty place. But then you go to the city, and the city's similar to the first one, but it's not raining all the time. Mm-hmm. And then you also then you had the place with Deckard with the with right. this bombed out Sandy and the um the garbage. Landscape. Oh yeah, the big, the big, uh, yeah, he, that's right. He when he yeah. goes and he finds the uh, the place that the kid grew up. Yeah. Um. The whatever the basically the child uh, labor camp. Or whatever. Yeah. Pretty um, much. <laughs> that yeah that one it's uh yeah it's like giant junkyard yeah. not junkyard which it's giant also trash. it kind of made me think of the book because there's some um plot elements well, not plot elements really yeah. but there are some elements in the book where they talk about how everything is just sitting around and it's just like building up and yeah. up and up yeah yeah so it's not, it, it 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 makes sense and it sounds like they did go back and pull in more elements yeah. from the book that weren't quite there in the first yeah. one necessarily yeah it seems like they went back and like reconsidered the source material a little bit which is cool yeah. and and i think the movie benefits from it cuz as much as i like the first movie i think the it would be very tedious if the movie was two hours and 45 minutes long and it was all raining and blue. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, if it was all took place in the similar kind of sets, and not not, not that every set in the first Blade Runner is like that, but a lot of it is sort of dank, wet city scape. Mm-hmm. Um, and if it was two hours and 45 minutes of that, it would have maybe got a little tedious, but they're able to constantly give you something new to look at and interesting right. environments it, it, to be in. It makes the world bigger. Yeah, and it, yeah, it expands know. on the world, which sequels yeah. should do. If you're going to make a sequel, it should expand. <laughs> that is our cat curling up adorably 
in an all Amazon delivery box, making a nest. So if you hear crinkling, <laughs> he's adorable. He's very adorable. But yeah, no, it expands on the world. It adds more stuff, but it still feels like it makes sense in the world. Like nothing. Yeah. There's not any crazy leaps uh, in like technology or. You know, that that pulls you out and goes, this doesn't even feel like the same universe that we mm-hmm. were in before. It still feels like the same universe. It just feels like the same universe 25 years later. Yeah, no, you know I agree. I mean? So I thought that was cool. And again, I can't say enough and for just visually how gorgeous it is. The uh, the, the villain is pretty good. Jared Leto. Leto? Leto? God, what a creepy looking guy. Yeah, he's Jared Leto is really good at being a fucking weirdo. <laughs> um, and he does it again in this one. And... It's yeah. He was pretty good. Uh, I had a hard time understanding some of his lines. I noticed. Yeah, but I mean, he was he was technically the big bad, but yeah. he wasn't like like the main person. Like he wasn't in as much no. of the movie. No, as... the, well, his his associate, yeah. his second in command, the lady, yeah. is the one who we end up uh, that Kay ends up squaring off with more often than yeah. not. Who is also a replicant. But yeah, he, I still thought, like, the, yeah, he's not in a ton of it, but when he was in it, I thought he did a good job, and he was creepy and awful. Mm-hmm. And they did the, uh, which was interesting, and I thought it worked pretty well, they did the uh, the Tarkin recreating mm-hmm. a person digitally, and it looks pretty good. And I think it helps in a, in a movie like that, well, one, there was in really low lighting in, like, that weird room, right. but two, um, with it being, we know it's, like... Oh, it it is a like a clone or an amount like it, it can yeah. be a little. It's not it can, literally yeah, her. Right. It can look a little off because it's it, supposed the to be story, a little off. It's not a real person. Yeah, it's not. I mean, it's a replicant and it yeah. is a real person, but it's not like yeah. It's because right. we know it's not that actual character. So yeah. the fact that it, if it's just the tiniest bit weird, it actually almost makes it better. Yeah. Like, that it makes you a little, like, well, yeah, it looks pretty much like... It's like, almost like, honestly, maybe the best way I've seen that done with a, a character like that, where the character is... The fact, like I said, like I said, the fact that it's a little offset, off-putting, and, like, not quite right, mm-hmm. it totally makes sense. And, like, totally yeah. works in that scene, which is an interesting way to do that. They bring back Rachel, I wish we never said, but yeah, they... And again, spoilers, but they, he clones Rachel <laughs> and brings her back as a replicant to try to entice uh, Deckard to help him. All right, so final verdict on Blade Runner 2049. Great movie. Go see it. I'd give it a... I'm going to just randomly on a scale of a letter, I'm going to give it a B plus. I think that's fair. <laughs> I think that's pretty accurate. Yeah. I think there could have been a couple little things tweaked. Mm-hmm. I, I I probably could actually lean A minus when I saw it again, or maybe even A. Like I could see it getting up there on a rewatch, uh, the same way I felt about Blade Runner. In fact, it would be even more because, like with Blade Runner, the second time I watched it, it went from like a C, I, I not a C, but like a, I don't really get why everybody loves this <laughs> to a wow, that's an A plus movie or at least an A movie. Whereas this one, I already think it's really good. Yeah. And so I think rewatching it, I could I could see it going up to like, yeah, that's a, that's a solid A, A-plus movie. But anyways, that was our thoughts on Blade Runner 2049. Now we're going to move on and give you a little preview of the Birds episode. All right, moving on. Next episode, we're going to be talking about Blade, Blade Runner. No, no, I already did that one. 
We're going to be talking about The Birds, 1963 Alfred Hitchcock film, The Birds. And now, I've seen this movie uh, several times. I watched it at least once in film school. Um, uh. I know. <laughs> uh, but I've seen it. I saw it before that when I was a kid. I've, se- I've seen probably seen it two or three times. Have you seen it? I've never seen it all the way through. I've seen like little snippets of yeah. it. And of course, the the iconic scene with what's-her-name? Tippi Hedren? Hedren, yeah. Yeah, where they're attacking her. Yeah. yeah. But I've never seen it all the way through. And I have never read the short story. Well, there so. you go. And you still have not read the short story. No, You're I doing this not. blind right now. <laughs> I have some fun facts All about right. the short story, but I have not read it yet. Well, let's get into your fun facts about the short story, and then we'll talk about the movie a little bit. Or okay. some of the background on the on the story, I think, that's a good way to do it, since it came first, anyways. That's true. So this is a short story by uh, Daphne du Maurier, mm-hmm. I think was what we how we decided her yeah. name was pronounced. That's right. That's what it is. <laughs> Um, it's probably her most well-known story. Oh, really? Story. She, no, didn't she also write Rebecca? Yeah. Okay, because that one's pretty well-known. Short story. Rebecca's, oh, Rebecca's right. a novel, right? Re- yeah, sorry, Rebecca's sorry, her sorry. most well-known novel, right. I would say. My bad, sorry. It originally appeared in a collection called The Apple Tree, mm-hmm. which got reprinted as The Birds oh, yeah. and other once, stories. Once the movie came out, yeah. probably, yeah. <laughs> But she's had a couple other of her works adapted, too. Um, mm-hmm. Like I said, The Bird's probably the most famous one. But I mean, I'm sure Rebecca's been adapted. Rebecca's been adapted, yeah. yeah. Most recently, uh, My Cousin Rachel. Never heard of it. Oh, you didn't see the, the ads for that? I don't think so. It's like a creepy, like, like period gothic looking. I, I want to see huh. it. I would like to do that one eventually. Is it out? Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was out a while ago. Oh. Is there, who's in it? Anybody specific? Um, it's fine. I can't remember that. I just... That's I don't fine. remember. Okay, that's fine. We'll look it up after. Um, a dark-haired girl. Okay. <laughs> Narrows it down. <laughs> I know, doesn't it? <laughs> so, allegedly, this story was inspired. She was out, and she saw a farmer plowing a field while being dive-bombed by seagulls. <laughs> seagulls are assholes. Seagulls are huge assholes. Yeah. Um, maybe second only to Canadian geese. That's true. They're way up the oh. list. <laughs> They're way up the list. Evil incarnate. We, we don't have to deal with seagulls around here. We just have the geese. Yeah. So. Just roving gangs <laughs> of Canadian geese. Yeah. Um, anyway, so the story is allegedly inspired by that instance. Although there is some controversy. Tron- controversy. I cannot say that word. Controversy. Controversy. You nailed it. Along with the story, which we'll get to in a minute. Okay. Other fun fact, um, BBC is apparently re-adapting the story for television. I saw that, yeah. Um, apparently as a contemporary drama. That might be interesting. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I could see it working. So Maurier is related to the Davies boys, who were the kids who inspired, were the inspiration for Peter Pan. Oh, um, fun fact, they're yeah. cousins. Oh, So, okay. literary family, yeah. I guess. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> That's interesting. She was often categorized as a romantic novelist, which she did not like. And it, it's interesting, because when I was reading about it, it's not romantic with a capital R. Yeah. It's not like the literary movement romantic, which would make sense, but she was born too late for that, I yeah. think. Um. But like romantic, like romance. Oh, which is interesting because of the two stories I know of her, neither of those fit. Yeah, <laughs> her works don't usually have happy endings. Yeah, 
they have like sinister overtones and yeah. like aspects of the paranormal. So yeah. I'm like, okay. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say the only two I know, I, I those wouldn't I wouldn't classify the birds yeah. of Rebecca. I would not classify either of those as yeah, a no. romance. And, and based on the trailers that I saw for my cousin Rachel, I wouldn't classify it as a romance either. So yeah, she was also purportedly bisexual. Interesting. Um, she allegedly had an affair with an actress named Gertrude Lawrence. <laughs> Although uh, Gertrude. both her and Lawrence's children deny that that was even a possibility. Ah. So well, who knows? Who knows? So, my juiciest tidbit here that okay. I learned while I was doing some research is that she has been accused of plagiarism. Oh, really? Um, on, in, on a couple instances. Huh. Um, her novel, Rebecca, apparently had some similarities to a Brazilian novel whose title I'm not going to try to pronounce. <laughs> because I will butcher it. <laughs> okay. I'll take a stab. Did you write it down? Hmm. <laughs> ah, ah, successora. Ah, successora. The successor. Yeah, the successor. Successor. Sorry. Ah, successora. Oh wow. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. See, it that looks easy. Like, it looks pretty easy. I saw it. Ah, successora. But it means the successor. Yes. Um. So apparently there were some similarities there, and the other accusation of plagiarism was. The birds. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, so this author, Frank Baker, who I had never heard of, wrote a novel also called The Birds. Yeah. And I went and read the synopsis of said novel, and it does pretty much sound like the same story. Yeah. But what's interesting and highly suspicious is that at the time he submitted it to his publisher... She was working there as oh. a reader. Oh, boy. Yeah. So, That's not sure how suspicious. you got away with that, Daphne, but... Wow. All right. So, and, and I'm, there's also now, like, there's controversy about, like, what the movie is actually based on, because um, Frank Baker was going to sue yeah. about the movie, and I think somebody advised him not to do it. Interesting. So... We can segue into movie fun yeah. facts. So, know? well, that was that was yeah, that's crazy. I I I, I mean, I'd read a few things about her when I was looking through movie stuff, and I didn't uh, I didn't see that. That's yeah. I had no idea no. that that was like I'd always just heard. Oh, it's based on this short story. So it's funny that her two most well known. I know are the two that. <laughs> So she was like an, a mediocre writer, and then the two ones that are considered classic, well, I don't know how much the Birds short story is considered classic, but the two most popular ones are uh, potentially little, not her own doing. Little suspicious. Yeah. yeah. The movie uh, is 1963, like I said, Alfred Hitchcock movie, and he, well, I guess we'll get this out of the way first. So it stars Roy, Rod Taylor and Tippi Hedren. There's, uh, there, in recent years, there have been, uh, Tippi Hedren released a thing that apparently Alfred Hitchcock's a giant fucking asshole. You know, I've heard that. Yeah. Uh, and she tells, she basically said that he sexually abused her and that sort of stuff, which is awful. 
and spe- specifically in the making of this film, I think it was mm-hmm. the only movie she ever did with him. Maybe I can't. It was her first. It was her screen debut. It was her first like mm-hmm. big big movie. So yeah, that's and she released a statement recently with all the Harvey Weinstein stuff about you know uh, yeah and it's, uh, basically saying that this has been going on forever and that sort yeah. of thing. The Hitchcock is dead, right? Yeah, he's super dead. Okay, that's what I, I just 80s. wanted to make sure. Yeah, I think he died in 1980. <laughs> he's been dead for like 30 years. Yeah, so assuming that's all true, which. I have no reason to think it's not. Fuck him. <laughs> but, yeah, right. Um, but so the the screenplay he didn't write it. Uh, it's the screenplay was by Evan Hunter, uh, who, but Hitchcock told him that he wanted to add new characters. So that's kind of a spoiler. There are a bunch of new okay. characters uh, and a more elaborate plot while keeping Dumarier's title and concept of the unexplained bird attacks right. as the main thing. Yeah. But they added more characters, and they also one thing he wanted to do with it. Is set it up sort of as a uh, a comedy at the beginning, and, and and basically play it up because he said like his thought behind that was that you know it's called the birds, it's called mm-hmm. the birds. You've seen the marketing, so you know what happens. But you're gonna spend that whole first beginning of the movie just waiting, yeah, and so that that build that suspense of where if they don't, there's not like. The first actual bird attack, I think, is, like, pretty far into the movie. I'd have to double check. I mean, well, when we watch it. Yeah. But I think it's, like, when she gets attacked by that seagull, like, it's, like, 30 minutes into the movie or something like that. <laughs> he was also inspired by, so apparently in August in 1961, which is, like, a year before he started filming, he was already developing the movie, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, a bunch of birds in a California town all died in the air. Oh, and creepy. fell out of the sky <laughs> and like littered were like littering the streets in this California town and they think it was most likely to do some sort of a toxic shellfish or something. Huh. I, I didn't read it was some sort of poison. So they basically they poisoned. Ate. Yeah, they ate or something <laughs> like that. Poisoned them all and they all just fell out of the sky and died. Yeah. And uh he requested a bunch of the footage, news footage from the covering of that as inspiration for for like half a second, I thought you were going to say he requested the bird bodies. <laughs> Take the bird bodies so he could throw them. And no, no, no. He requested, he got a bunch of the footage so he uh-huh. could use it for inspiration for hmm. um, elements of the film. Uh, in, in 2016, the birds was deemed culturally and historically or aesthetically significant by the United States Library of Congress and selected for preservation in the National Film Registry. Hmm. That just happened last year, apparently. Some other cool things to look for if you haven't watched the movie yet, uh, in terms of the way the movie's made. Some other cool things is there's no score, if you'll notice. There's no real score in the movie. It's all sound effects and music that is in... uh, It's called um, source music. There's other words. It's music that... The only music in the movie is music that takes place in the universe that the characters can hear. So, like, if they walk into somewhere and and there's there's a song playing. playing. Okay, okay. Or, and then a couple times people play piano or stuff like Mm -hmm. that. Yeah. So, there's no actual score, though. And he did that on purpose because he wanted to punctuate those moments of sound and music against the silence of the rest Mm -hmm. of it because he thought that would up the suspense. Especially when you're sitting there waiting, listening for the birds when they're in the latter half of the film. So yeah, there's no score, which is an interesting, again, a pretty unconventional thing to do. And then this, okay, so that's really all the kind of fun facts about the movie, but I have a couple quotes from Hitchcock about book, uh, kind of relevant, because it's about books versus movies to an extent, okay. and I thought these are interesting when I was doing some research. He said this, or is quoted as saying this, really, the novelist has the best casting, since he doesn't have to cope with the actors and all the rest. <laughs> um... 
And then he elaborated on that when he got it. He was interviewed by Roger Ebert in the 60s. And he elaborated, or Rob, Robert Ebert. Roger? I can't remember. Ebert. Uh, he said in this interview, once the, tel- once the screenplay is finished, I just as soon not make the film at all. I have a strongly visual mind. I visualize a picture right down to the final cuts. I write all this out in the greatest detail in the script, and then I don't look at the script while I'm shooting. I know it off by heart, just as an orchestra constructor, orchestra conductor needs not look at the score. When you finish the script, the film is perfect, but in shooting, you lose perhaps 40% of your original conception. So, he may argue, I don't know why he wasn't just a writer (laughs) then, but (laughs) he may argue, uh, Hitchcock might argue that the book is always better than the movie. Yeah. But, uh, so I thought that was an interesting take, and at least as terms as it pertains to our yeah. sort of discussion that we have about these things. But I disagree, I think. I mean, I, not that I disagree, but I think, I think you, yeah, you definitely will lose, you'll always lose something, but I think you also can gain a lot. Like, yeah, I think I that's, I think that's a, that. I think that's a, it's, it, that's another thing. There's not, it's not wrong saying that, yeah, you lose 40, you know, you lose a big chunk of what you're imagining when you're writing or whatever. But I think there's also a lot of stuff that you can gain and that can show up and that creates, at the end, in the end, creates a vastly different experience that is not only different, but at times can be better than what you may get just from reading a book. But, but yeah, so that's all we got as a little preview for the birds. You can go ahead try to. I think it's on Amazon for like two ninety nine if you want to go see it. If you've never seen it, the short story is pretty short. Uh, yeah, it's like forty five pages in the edition that I got. But I also found it online, so I can post it on the Facebook page, awesome. on the Twitter. Yeah, and you as guys, well. if you want to go ahead, we got a, you got about a week. And now, not about you have exactly a week <laughs> until the birds episode comes out. Where we'll be discussing it. So go ahead and watch, read, and let us know what you think on the Facebook page, like Katie mentioned, or you can follow us on Twitter at at this film is lit. Uh, we also have a Goodreads. That's just I assume you just Google this film is lit. I don't know how that yeah. works, or not Google, but go to Goodreads and search for this film is lit. I don't know how Goodreads works. But. Yeah, that's that's our username. <laughs> okay, Goodreads, there you this go. film is lit. Where you add the books and that sort of yes. stuff to it. Beyond that, I think that's all we got for this first prequel episode. Hopefully, these prequels are better than some certain other prequels that exist in the world. But that (laughs) remains to be seen (laughs) until we do a few more of them. And maybe have a few years of retrospective to think back on whether or not said prequels were very good at all. (laughs) Nothing in particular I'm discussing there. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Anyways, thanks, guys. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back in one week. Well, we won't see you. You'll hear us back in one week talking about the birds on our second Halloween episode. Until next time, guys, keep reading books. Keep watching movies. And I think that's all I say. (laughs) That's fine. Doesn't matter. That's good.